Welcome to Truth Transistor Radio. Transistors, welcome to another episode of my podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the next big event uh, in the Bible. As in the last episode, we talked about creation and the age of the earth, uh, a creation versus evolution. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the flood, which the Bible claims occurred in. Um, in a, on a global scale. Well, I'm convinced it's on a global scale. And just as many uh, Christians or uh, Bible believers have tried to harmonize the Bible with evolution, there's some that try and suggest that the flood that's in the Bible was just a local flood. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to see what the Bible actually said. And we will, uh, I will give what I think is is evidence and some resources for you to uh, research yourself. Now, if you have, you might notice that I sound a little bit different, and that's because I finally spent some money on a real microphone. And I think it's a huge improvement. And I really didn't want to spend much money on this kind of stuff, which seems kind of ridiculous. But, <laughs> uh, but then I realized this it was not, you know, these are not really that expensive. So, <laughs> so I decided to get one. And hopefully this uh, is more enjoyable for you to hear. Now, just a reminder, as I've stated in previous episodes, uh, that I am not doing this for money. This is all about what I really believe in my heart. And it's all about wanting to find the truth. And so I'm just here to share resources and things that have influenced my thinking and belief. And that I'm absolutely 100% sure that I'm not right about everything. So hopefully you will find what I have to say interesting in these uh, episodes. But that... Not necessarily to believe everything that I say, but at least take it to uh, to heart and, and do some research and, and look up these resources that I leave for you uh, on your own. And at any time, um, you can le- you can email me at truthtransistorradio at gmail.com. Uh, if you ever have any comments or questions or, or things you want to discuss or, you know, whatever it is, I would love to hear from you about anything that I'm talking about. So feel free to email me. Once again, that's truthtransistorradio at gmail.com. I'm not sure if it makes a difference, but each word is capitalized uh, or each letter on the 
beginning of each word is capital capitalized. So, for example, it would be uh, capital T, lowercase R U T H, capital T, lowercase R A N S I S T O R, capital R, etc. You get the idea. And there's no spaces or anything between each of those words. So I don't know if that makes a difference or not, but uh, I just thought I would clarify that. So as I said, today we're going to be talking about the global flood. But before we do, here is a sports update from a professional sports commentator. Hello, everyone. Well, the Ball State softball team continued to play this weekend and they were hoping to continue off of their straight three out of four losses. And so we'll take a look and see how that happened. They started off good, but then eventually but the Ball State women's, women's team shot down and ended up doing poorly. Oh, no. And it's working. Okay. We're going to continue on now. And the Ladies Cardinals will play an Iowa tournament starting this Friday. Before the Ball State baseball team kicks off its conference season this, we this weekend, the Cards will battle an in-state rival Indiana tomorrow. Tomorrow's game will be the meeting between the two beating both first <sighs> Hoosiers are on the four on on the year and they have won six of its last seven games tomorrow will be the game three at 3 p.m. which switching to Ball State men's tennis it seems last week player on it seems every week they have a player Mad Lawrence is the latest Cardinals tennis player to win the award. Lamar won all this all the singles and doubles matches last week. So far the Cardinals have had a player honored on the on the weekly awards. 7 out of the 9 uh, 7 out of the 9 weeks. The Cards will play at Boise State invite this weekend. The Indiana Pacers are looking for a measure of revenge tonight against the New Jersey Nets and to strengthen their playoff hopes. The Nets won the last Sunday's matchup 94-85, which left the Pacers one game behind the Chicago in the seventh series spot. Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David... Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. The final score is ended up with the Pacers 63 to the net 61. The Associated Press of the All-American First Team in College Baseball was announced today at Utah's seven-foot sophomore center Andrew Bogat was the leading vote getting receiving 61st place votes. Bogat, who is an Australian native, received very little attention in the presentation in the preseason, but averaged 20 points and 12 rebounds a game for Utah. The four other players joining Bogat on the AP team are senior forward Wayne Summers and Kansas of Kansas and Hacken Warwick of Syracuse.
Junior guard J.J. Reddick of Duke and sophomore, and sophomore guard Chris Paul of Wake Forest rebounded out the list. Let's check out some of the scores tonight. Okay, great. Thanks a lot for that look in sports, Brian. Yeah. That was the great Brian Collins giving a sports update at his college station, I guess. It was a college uh, town or, or, or college. Uh, anyway, he was a college student um, and doing a great professional job. I think I heard that his uh, his teleprompter, which what he was supposed to read, went out. So I can imagine if you're new at something and you're trying to you're you're trying to do a good job and you're kind of nervous and then that happens that it could really mess you up. So I thought we would have a little fun with that. I'm definitely not making fun of him because I am able to do a lot of editing when I put these things together. I if you knew all the pauses and uh can't come up with words uh, things of that nature that happens all the time to me except I have the benefit of not having to do this live but on to what I'm here to talk about I'm going to start by reading a Bible passage in 2nd Peter chapter 2 verse uh, uh, sorry 2nd Peter 3 verses starting in verse 3 Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men there's a lot of good things in that passage and the main thing i want to focus on is that the world that then was perished and I believe that the world before the flood was a different world. It was a much better environment. And there's two main things I want to talk about here. And first of all, uh, I mentioned this some last week, but in Genesis chapter 5, you see a, a genealogy, uh, and it says how long somebody lived, um, and most of them... In the genealogy of Seth, it gives the ages lived over 900 years, which is impossible today. The, I think about the oldest anyone lives now is approximately 120 years. And then after the flood, you look at the genealogies of Shem, and it says for the next several generations, people were only living over about 400 years or under 500. So it almost cuts in half there. And then um, at the age of Peleg, it drops again and continues to decline until you, 
you it hits an equilibrium of what it is today and i think it's been about the same for the you know, there's times in history where you've got like the Middle Ages where there's terrible health care, where the average age, it's not uncommon for somebody to die in their 30s and 40s. But in terms of when everybody is living a healthy and, and you got a healthy environment and, and diet and all that stuff, it's been about 120 has been about the maximum for a long time. But 900 is is just unfathomable to us today so i'm convinced that something happened at the flood you know if the bible is true that the ages suddenly dropped and then um, dropped again at the days of peleg so we're going to talk some some about why those things dropped Um, but also i wanted to mention another mysterious thing Uh, before the flood that is mentioned in the Bible, and that is Genesis chapter 6. And I'll read some of this here. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they took them wives of all that uh, which they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be an hundred and twenty years. Now, quickly, I want to insert there that I believe that means that's about the maximum people can live. Some people read that and they think it's a hundred and twenty years until the flood comes. But that's not the way I understand it. Uh, Verse 4, there were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the the same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Uh, And then it goes on to talk about Noah and uh, the coming flood. But I wanted to talk about, um, it says there were giants in the earth in those days. And some of the different viewpoints concerning this passage. Perhaps the most popular theory, only because it's the least weird, is that when it talks about the sons of God coming down to the daughters of men and bearing children by them, uh, is that the sons of God were the line of Seth and the daughters of men were the women from the line of Cain so that you got the righteous line and the wicked line so they would suggest that whenever righteous people uh, marry or uh, you know sleep with unrighteous women or whatever that that would uh, create unrighteous world you wouldn't preserve righteousness because the children would have wickedness and you know, mix at home or something. I don't know what their argument is. 
but this is what they would say. And the problem I have with that view is that it doesn't explain where giants come from. Uh, somebody that held this view told me that, well, you know, if you got, um, if you got uh, people from both sides, you know, the righteous and the wicked, uh, the father is, you know, being on the righteous side is at least going to bring stability to the family to where there's going to be success and, and wealth. Whereas if you have all, you know, an unrighteous father, there's more chance of poverty and things of that nature. I guess that's his explanation. So the most powerful uh, families and kingdoms were from these kind of mixes or something of that. So the children of them are the ones that rebel because they see both and the tendency is to go evil, I guess. So the children of that is the ones that become powerful or well-respected politically. <laughs> I, But I, I have a problem. I'm not sure about that one, but that's a common view. Uh, then another common view is what is known that's that the sons of God are fallen angels and that through this process the fallen angels were able to enter uh, to to uh, bear children through human women and create this giant offspring it's a very strange one but it's a common one it's not new uh, it goes way back uh, it's in the book of Enoch which was it's in the Dead Sea Scrolls, so that means it existed before, uh, you know, before Christ, uh, that view did. Um, and it's a very strange one. Uh, the uh, the word for uh, sons of God is often used. The Hebrew word is B'nai Elohim, I believe that's how you pronounce it. And uh, that's often used uh, to describe angels. So... I think this is very possible, and I think it sounds a lot like alien abduction. So is it possible that what people are claiming is happening today is the same thing that was happening back then? I don't know. That's kind of interesting. I, I, I can tell you that the first time I saw anything about aliens on television, uh, not a movie, but like uh, some sort of news thing that was talking about people claiming these really happening to them, I immediately thought, well, that was probably demonic. I knew nothing about Nephilim view of, of scripture, but I think it's very interesting um, to at least consider the possibility that some of these claims are true. And it's, it may have been what was happening in Genesis chapter six. So that's an interesting uh, thought. Third is another one that could be a combination of the other two, but um, so it's not necessarily standalone. But I dev I kind of th think that this goes along with with part of it, um, and that has to do with the canopy theory that the environment was much different and thus people grew a lot older before uh, the flood. Um, but regardless. Um, and, and I'll get into the to that theory uh, soon, but regardless, there is evidence that there were giants uh, on the earth, and giant skeletons have been found, although they have been hidden from the masses. Uh, in the 1800s, there was 
tons of articles of of archaeological finds of these things uh but then they would get be given to the smithsonian and disappear <laughs> so there definitely seems to be an effort to block uh this just like the conspiracy against evo uh that pushes evolution they also hide truths such as this uh but this is just a a, a theory i i, I don't want to be straightforward about this but but I want to leave you a cl uh give you a clip from a documentary called A Race of Giants and I'll leave a uh, a link to it below Legends throughout the world have spoken of a race of giants that once walked the earth but are they legends? If they are merely legends, then how can we have skeletal remains of human giants, 8 to 12 feet tall, that have been discovered all over the world, throughout history, and even further back? In America alone, there have been over 1,500 newspaper accounts as far back as the 1800s. In the island of Catalina, California, in 1920, 3,781 skeletons of a race of blonde-haired giants were found and exhumed. In fact, there are real accounts of exhumed giants with double rows of teeth and in some cases, six fingers. If this is so, where is the evidence? Many have accused the Smithsonian Institution of covering up these discoveries, locking the giant skeletons away and depriving the public of their findings. But the Smithsonian insists that no physical specimens of such creatures remain, and that they never existed. This stunning revelation, the Smithsonian conspiracy, and factual case studies are revealed and examined in a race of giants. was audio from the trailer called a race of giants and once again i'll leave the link below and i recommend watching that uh, that's just one of the things that is claimed in genesis uh, that there were giants in the earth in those days so uh, i mentioned uh, a couple of three of the uh, theories on what those giants were but um I believe is a combination of the second and third. That is that there that people were naturally grow, growing taller because they lived a lot longer, but also uh, that um, there might might have been this fallen angels procreating with human women, creating even bigger giants, which could correlate with the alien invasions of today. But regardless. This documentary will uh, show some evidence that giant skeletons, not just seven feet like we have now, but like 10, 12, 15, and even some claims up to like 50 feet tall. So uh, quite kind of interesting there. And then the next theory I want to get into is known as the canopy theory. But to sum up this canopy theory, the idea is that at the original creation, the earth was surrounded by either water or ice or vapor that 
created higher atmospheric pressure and also a greenhouse effect so that the entire earth was tropical weather and healthier. Every time you breathed in, you would get more oxygen. And that would have some explanation of why humans grew bigger and lived longer. Uh, now, the documentary that I left didn't, didn't get into animals, but there's also uh, a lot of giant animal skeletons that have been found. And, uh, and, and partly that can be explained by this canopy as well. And in some cases, it's possible that some of the dinosaurs are actually animals that exist today just a lot bigger than what we know now, like uh, certain lizards and things. Uh, there are various lizards that grow until they die. And if they lived like 10 times as long as they do now, like humans did, then they could grow a whole lot bigger. So perhaps some of the dinosaurs were actually, you know, giant lizards. And, uh, but, you know, and then like some of the, some of the dinosaurs look like giant rhinoceros or, uh, ele you know, uh, giant you know like the saber-toothed tiger could just be a fully realized uh cat that you know um so you know these are just interesting thoughts um and also i think that much of the water if you read the bible now the bible doesn't clearly state the canopy theory but it states that much of the earth was beneath the earth and so the the fountains uh, burst forth, um, you know, because the way it describes is that there was no rain on the earth, and then there were these fountains that came up out of the ground. A mist came up out of the ground to water the the, the ground. So it was a different uh, environment. Although we do have morning dew and things now, but um, it, it's it's kind of interesting to consider these possibilities. But what I'm going to do is play a clip of Carl Baugh explaining this idea. The world before the flood can be represented like this. We have a pristine world of beauty with a great sea, a great ocean, and seas fingering into the landmass. And that world was surrounded by a firmament canopy. That canopy of water was approximately 11 miles above the earth. Now, that firmament canopy of water did a wonderful thing. It filtered out the shortwave radiation from the sun and from stellar bodies. But the long wave and mid-spectral radiation would come right on in. That did something wonderful. The world before the flood had greater atmospheric pressure because of the gravitational weight of that firmament pushing in on the atmosphere. The world before the flood was protected from the harmful radiation. And that produced some very wonderful things. Essentially, everything in the fossil record was larger in the past than it is today. Uh, the great white shark today gets 36 feet long. 
But in the fossil record, he is 60 feet long. Something must explain that. In addition to that, this uh, lipididendron has its counterpart today. The very same form is the lycopsid club moss. It gets 16 inches tall at best. But in the fossil record, that very same plant is 150 feet tall. We're not evolving. We've lost something in the process or lost the conditions that would permit the full expression of the life form. Did you get that? We are building a context at Glenrose for the first time in history called the hyperbaric biosphere. And in that biosphere, we're going to be having 2.18 atmospheres of pressure. That's what the best of our research shows, that canopy firmament pushing in on the atmosphere would have introduced 2.18 atmospheres of pressure. We're going to introduce 25% oxygen, 0.25% CO2, carbon dioxide. That should make a world of difference because that's what academically we find indicated in the fossil record. What will that do? Well, we have um, dragonflies today. Here in East Texas, the dragonflies get how big? About a four inch wingspan, maybe five inches. In the fossil record, that very same life form, the dragonfly, had a 36 inch wingspan. What explains that? The evolutionary concept cannot really explain that because if the processes with increased energy, which I'll address in the next lecture, with increased complexity is causing the forms to accelerate in complexity, they certainly should accelerate in dexterity and size. Well, that's not the case. We find they were bigger in the past. Human life forms were larger in the past, and incidentally, they were more intelligent in the past. But given these circumstances, with a little over two atmospheres of pressure, 25% oxygen in contrast to today's 21% oxygen, the brain from conception on would be hyper-oxygenated, not to the point of toxicity, this is the perfect level, a little over two atmospheres of pressure, 25% oxygen. In the fetal formation of the brain, it would be enlarged to begin with. The cellular structure would be fed and nurtured from before the child was born. Then you would live in a context where your brain would be totally fed in all its capacity with oxygen. That means that every person sitting in this audience, if you were to live under these conditions and having been born under those conditions, would put Albert Einstein to shame in your intellectual capacity. You have that capacity. Why don't you use it? Well, we really can't to our fullest capacity. But if our brains, if the blood plasma were hyper-oxygenated today, that would solve a lot of problems. Oh, that does solve a lot of problems, including the dinosaurs. You see, with their small lung capacity, the hemoglobin cell can only take four oxygen molecules. Did you know that? 
The hemoglobin in the blood is saturated with four oxygen molecules. That's all it can take. And you can't get enough oxygen to the deep cell tissue of such bulk size. But Texas A&M University has found that under two atmospheres of pressure with slightly enriched oxygen, all the blood plasma becomes saturated with oxygen. That means that overnight, an open wound heals. Today, it takes 14 days for that open wound to heal. But overnight, under those hyper-oxygenated contexts, an open wound heals. Now, let's take it further. I think probably the best illustration of what it was like before the flood or what it was like to recuperate before the flood was found uh, in the experience of a little girl, probably the most famous little girl in the world. Does anyone here recognize the name Jessica McClure? How many recognize the name Jessica McClure? Every hand in the building as far as I can see. Who's that little girl? She's a little girl who fell in a well, Midland, Texas. Fifty-eight and a half hours, her right leg was suspended behind her back. And for fifty-eight and a half hours, her right foot was in her face. That's a pretty difficult position to be in. She's a brave little girl. I'm not sure I could have held out that long. When they got to her, her right foot, because of its suspension and the lack of blood supply and oxygen, her right foot was black, and they were sure they were going to have to amputate her foot. You know what they did for that little girl? They rushed her to the Midland Hospital, rushed her to a hyperbaric medical chamber. They put her under two-plus atmospheres of pressure, and they gave her 100% oxygen because they needed a quick fix. <laughs> now, she couldn't live under 100% oxygen for long periods of time, but you, they certainly needed it quickly. So they essentially put her in a context like pre-flood man had. What happened to her right foot? In a few hours, it turned pink. And then, her toes began to turn pink. They thought at first they'd lose the entire foot. Then they thought, well, we're not going to lose the foot. We'll lose all her toes. Then her big toe turned pink. Second, third, fourth. They finally lost the little pinky because it wouldn't turn pink. Well, what I'm doing is introducing an overview of the creation model. It appears that her body was designed to function and repair itself under those circumstances. So that was a little bit of Carl Baugh. And you can find a lot of him on YouTube, but also I'll leave a link to his museum, which is called Creation Evidence Museum, and it's in Glen Rose, Texas, not far from where I live. And our church went there as a retreat for a weekend retreat one year. I believe it was in the late 90s. I think I was still a teenager. Uh, but it was very interesting to me. Uh, that's where I first heard this canopy model. And others hold this, like Kent Hovind as well. But um, yeah, I think it's a very interesting. And it's, it's probably what the uh, only scientific model that I've heard that would explain why people could live 900 plus years. Uh, there's other Christians that completely reject this model, but I don't think they've given uh, an alternative. Um, and I'm not suggesting that it, the Bible explicitly says that this is the case. 
And I don't think Carl Baugh is either. He just said it's a scientific model. Now he's convinced it's true. And I am as well. But I'm kind of waiting to see if there's a better uh, theory out there in terms of how people could live 900 years and how they were giants and all this stuff. Like not just giant humans, but giant animals and everything. So, yeah, very interesting. So I would look that up and, you know, check out his his resources at the uh, Creation Evidence Museum. So now we've talked about the pre-flood world quite a bit here. What about the flood itself? If there was a global flood and one family survived, as the Bible says, with Noah, his wife, their three sons, and their wives, so that's eight people, plus uh, two of every kind of animal, or or seven of every clean animal, uh, then what would you expect? Well, I would expect them to pass that down for, you know, generations uh, to their children and that in ancient uh, legends, uh, because if every nation, every tribe, every everybody on earth today is from Noah and his family, that if you go back far enough, you will find legends about this flood if if the flood happened and the fact is that we do so what i would like to do next is talk about the flood legends around the world but before we do i'm going to play a song that i wrote and just you know just for fun i don't have it on itunes or anything else but you can uh if you like it you can go subscribe to my youtube channel called magic transistor radio
That song is called The Cowboys Are Coming, and it was inspired by a dream that I had when I was a kid, which the dream, I think, was sort of uh, from uh, the story I'd heard it, you know, that I knew about, about David and Goliath, <laughs> except instead of the Philistines, it was cowboys, and so... <laughs> Uh, and the music is weird because I like weird music. As I said in the first episode, that I like weird things. So I can't help but make strange music. Uh, I'm not going to write a pop song. Sorry, that's just not me. So anyway, if you like that, um, check out my other YouTube channel called Magic Transistor Radio. I got that name from uh, Beach Boys' Obscure track called Mount Vernon and Fairway uh, so that's why I have that name so anyway um, now we'll talk about uh, flood legends around the world I have a, a book called the flood of Noah legends and lore of survival this was edited and compiled by Bodie Hodge and Laura Welch with illustrations by Bill Looney it's full of pictures so I think kids would enjoy this book as well um, and it would be a nice coffee table book or whatever so I'm going to read uh, some of it here uh, this one is on the second page it sounds like a scenario straight out of Hollywood a massive flood sweeps across the surface of the planet and wipes out all life except for a small band of survivors and a handful of animals. But this is not just a biblical reference to Noah and his ark. It is an event echoed by hundreds of legendary accounts from all around the world. Uh, Morris 2001 was an expert. Uh, possibly as many as 500 according to some sources. Canali and Grig in 2000, uh, different cultures, different countries, and different geographical settings. Yet these legends, myths, accounts, and versions of this same global historical event continue to resonate through the ages. 
Many scholars and scientists arbitrarily say it is not enough that these legends exist in so many different forms to prove such an event ever occurred. Could evidence of such a catastrophe still be found today? And why do skeptics, why do skeptics find it so difficult to explain away these persistent accounts of an angry divine figure punishing mankind for their evil with an epic global disaster on the scale of which the world had never seen before. There are many common clues to be found with the diverse examples of these legends. The narratives include various similarities which can include such things as man and transgression, destruction from a divine being, a favored family, a vessel, or means of safety provided, destruction by water, humanity saved, animals saved, universal or global destruction, landing on a mountain, birds sent out, survivors worship, and divine favor is placed upon those saved. White, 2007. We find this history clearly detailed in the book of Genesis. Indeed, the Bible is the true and reliable account of this unimaginable time in our world's past. While many people try to close their minds to the Bible as an historical record, persistent questions about the floods, flood legends and their similarities to Noah's flood remain. And the deeper you go within this vast collection of legends, the more the biblical account is reflected. So these legends are not just in the Middle East. If it was, then you could explain it away as a legend that was just in the Mesopotamia area or whatever. No, these legends you can find in South America, Central America, the Pacific Islands, North America, Europe, Asia, Near East, Australia, and Africa. And I'm not talking about legends that have developed in the last hundred years. These are ancient legends. So I will leave a link to this book, The Flood of Noah, Legends and Lore of Survival by Bodie Hodge and Laura Welch, illustrations by Bill Looney. So finally, I would like to play a clip of Kent Hovind talking about this subject because I think he states it very well. So this is also, I think, in his creation seminar. There's one called The Flood, I believe. So here is a clip of Kent Hovind. The Bible says the earth was corrupt and filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and it was corrupt. All flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence through them. I will destroy them with the earth. Make thee an ark. And Noah said to his boys, boys, go for wood. We got to build a boat. And so they went and got all this wood and they built this huge boat. Now after the flood was over, Noah's son had a baby and named him Arphaxad. But don't you think one day little Arphaxad's getting big enough? He's sitting on Grandpa's lap and he's looking around like kids do. And he says, hey, Grandpa, I have a, I have a question. Uh, how come we're the only people in the whole world? You mean we got this whole planet to ourselves? <laughs> what, what happened? And Grandpa's going to tell him the story about the flood. Actually, they're going to talk about that flood for a long time. We're down in Pensacola. We're going to be talking about Hurricane Ivan for a long time. Okay? And that's just one little storm. Can you imagine a worldwide flood? Man, they talk about that for centuries. Actually, Arphaxad's daddy, Shem, Noah's son, lived long enough to tell that story directly to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
You'll never catch that reading your Bible, but when you graph it out, it's like, wow, that's unbelievable. Do you know they're still talking about that flood in many cultures around the world? So far, 270 flood legends have been identified in different countries and cultures around the world. The Hawaiians have a legend that says, Long after the death of Kunihana, the first man, the world became a wicked, terrible place to live. There was one good man left. His name was Nu'u. He made a great canoe with a house on it and filled it with animals. The waters came up over all the earth and killed all the people. Only Nu'u and his family were saved. Huh, one family saved in a boat full of animals. Sounds kind of like the Bible story, doesn't it? The Chinese have a legend called the Hiking Classic. They say that Fuhai is the father of their civilization. Fuhai is probably Noah. Okay? The story says, Fuhai, his wife, three sons, and three daughters escaped a great flood. He and his family were the only people alive on earth. After the great flood, they repopulated the world. Interesting. Now, the Mexican, the Tolik Indians in Mexico have a very interesting story. They said, the first world lasted 1,716 years and was destroyed by a flood that covered the highest mountains. One family named Coxcox survived. 1,716 years. Well, the Bible dates add up to uh, 1656 from the creation to the flood. But that's not bad for a legend 4,000 years old. Question, why would there be nearly 300 flood legends? Uh, I think it's because there was a flood. So that was uh, Kent Hovind, and I think he, he states it very well. But I'm going to go back to the verse that I quoted early in 2 Peter 3. Uh, starting in verse 3, but I'm going to keep reading from where I read before. Uh, Knowing this verse, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. And this is what I'm coming to here, is that just as the world was destroyed or judged because of wickedness by water, it will eventually again be destroyed and judged with fire. Verse 8, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I've heard a, a lot of people, Bible critics, say, why, does, why would a God, loving God allow evil to exist? And the answer is because he wants to give you an opportunity to repent, and me, because we are all wicked in his sight. But he is patient, and he's giving us all an opportunity. Uh, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the element shall melt with uh, fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you be in all holy conversation and godliness? Okay, so 
this is the most important part of this video and really the most important message that I have on all of my episodes and I'll probably repeat it many times. We are all sinners. We uh, are all guilty and God has no place for sin in heaven. Uh, and there's a verse, uh, Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So now we're in an impossible situation, or it seems impossible, because we're all sinners, yet the wages of sin is death. Now, it, it also says the gift of God is eternal life. Now, uh, John three sixteen, a very famous passage says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Who is uh, the Son of God? It's Jesus Christ. And the wages of sin is death, so Christ came down and took our place by taking our sin upon himself and dying on the cross and, uh, and taking our penalty upon himself so that anyone who accepts that gift will not perish but have everlasting life. So, well, first of all, everybody's going to physically pass away. Um, there's a few examples that don't, but I won't get into that here. But um, we're all destined to physically die, but there's going to be a resurrection, and there's going to be two, in fact. But everybody will be resurrected at some point, and then there will be a final judgment. And in that final judgment, uh, will determine our eternal destiny, either to eternal life or to internal condemnation, being cast into the lake of fire. And there will be a new heavens and new earth because the old things will pass away. And this is the most important message that I have, that, that there is, I should say. And I would encourage all of you, I hope that some of these resources and things give you uh, something to think about if you did not believe in a global flood before. Uh, I would encourage you to look these things up, and there are many more. Uh, but this is a good place to start in this video. But if you can be uh, convinced that there was a global flood because of the, you know, for judgment of the world, and that the this same Bible says it will happen again, then I think we should all be uh, with, you know, the fearful of the great God that judges all things. Do not fear other men who can only destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So this is the end of episode two. And in the next episode, we'll talk about the next major event in the Bible, which is the Tower of Babel, uh, the dividing of the nations. And this will be, it'll be interesting. So thank you all and have a wonderful day. Thank you.